welcome to the podcast Unimagined, where current and former students share how they imagine education in schools could be regarding student leadership. We ask them to share about their experiences and offer advice on how we can all do better. we discussed challenges he had as an elementary school student spending time in a hospital, his observations about not being a perfect leader, and he shares some incredible gems on how being grateful and taking your mask off and being yourself improves who you are as a person and a leader. Welcome to the Unimagined Podcast, Avery. I am super excited to have you today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. This is awesome. So you did the survey, the characteristic survey, and your strengths were incredible. So I was wondering if you might share what your reaction was to those characteristics or how they seem to sort of define you as a person and as a leader. Definitely. Obviously, I'm an artist. Uh, I do both film and music. So I'm a very curious person. I'm always trying to uh, look at the world around me in different ways. Uh, I definitely have a lot of gratitude for every day that's in front of me every day that I get. And with that, with that gratitude comes a lot of love and a lot of hope for uh, trying to help other people and trying to help myself through the things that I talk about in my art. And it all just uh, centers around my faith and my spirituality and to be grateful for everything that God has given me. All those characteristics kind of getting back to me, they seem pretty spot on. Yeah, I actually wanted to ask you a little bit about your gratitude. Do you do a daily practice of gratitude or is it just something that you, that you're aware of? I'm always finding different ways to uh, try to kind of express my gratitude and to really take time to be grateful for everything around me. I think the past couple of months is just to try to not take any of the blessings of my life for granted. I think that there's a lot of really, really amazing things around us that uh, we tend to miss every day. Uh, I always try to take a couple of minutes, whether it's uh, through, let's say, a song that I'm working on or a film that I'm doing, or just sitting with myself and really looking around and taking in everything that's, uh, I think that is really, really crucial and something that I think a lot of us miss. Do you have any advice on how people can add more gratitude to their daily routine? Because I think when we are practicing gratitude and really making it something that we do on a daily basis it tends to make us more happy in general. For me, at least, uh, it's definitely a lot easier said than done. One of the biggest things in just my mission in general is to help people find the blessings within the harder parts of their lives, within the tragedies. A lot of people will be quick to point out the things that they don't have or the things that are missing or the things that they feel like could go better rather than uh, being grateful for the way things are. We can't control in a lot of circumstances how things turn out or how how much we want these certain materialistic things. Obviously for me and everything that I've been through, that's something that I've had to really practice since day one. But I found that for anybody, just being grateful for the things that you do have rather than the things that you don't, that will put you in a way, way better place. You highlight a really key thing that many students especially struggle with is 
not focusing on all the things that they don't have, but focusing on the, the things that are positive in their in their life. And that can be really hard as a young teen, preteen to be able to stop and recognize the positives in our lives. Negativity is way easier. People think that it's like super easy to be joyful and just, you know, like turn the other cheek and not think about all these terrible things. That's really not the way that I roll. Like, there, there have been a lot of rough patches and you recognize them, you digest them, you take the lessons from them, but it's a lot easier to be hateful, to be negative, to blame other people, to blame the world and be angry at everything. Like that's, that can be a lot easier, but it will definitely tear you down. But being able to be grateful, to look around and see the good parts, see the light and everything, that is a very, very, very hard thing to do a lot of the time. Like I said, it's beyond necessary and it's something that in the end will be a lot more gratifying, but definitely a common misconception that being happy, being positive, like that is an easy route. It's, it's definitely a lot easier to do the opposite for sure. Yeah. From the outside looking in, it looks like it must be so easy for them. And for you to sort of identify and share that, that it's challenging to have that approach and it takes work. And that is where your practice of gratitude comes in to strengthen that challenge for yourself. So I really appreciate that. Okay, so now I want to transition and you can sort of give a little bit of a, a, a story on how you got to where you were. But I want you to really think about when you were in your hospital and you were sort of permanently located in the hospital, how did your education work? How did it, how did teachers structure their lessons and their materials. Can you, in thinking about your experience, how can you help educators support and educate kids who may be in a similar situation as you? Uh, just like a precursor for anyone who doesn't know, uh, I'm a two-time leukemia survivor, uh, which is blood cancer. I fought that for eight years from when I was five until I was about 12. It was definitely a, a challenge in those formative years for me to get the education that I needed. And I think biggest takeaway for me, at least in that, uh, there were different ways that different teachers structured uh, in terms of like the leeway that they gave me and just, you know, the grace and they, they were all super supportive and were always there for me. I really learned from an early age what what kids can go through and then show up in the classroom, just any other student. Uh, you don't really know what happens outside of those doors of the school. So I walked in there and I could be happy. I had a smile on my face most of the days, but obviously outside of there, if my physical appearance wasn't the way that it was when I was going through treatment, people wouldn't have really known the things that I was going through in that moment, going through treatment and going through some really, really tough times. I didn't really want to learn how to do long division at that moment. I didn't want to learn how to do certain things in the classroom. I was learning so many life lessons at that point, and I just really needed support. So I think the biggest thing that I've taken through my entire education is just supporting kids on the person that they're becoming rather than just the student. I think that it's really important to look at them beyond, obviously, the classroom. I think the teachers, places that I've been, have been really good at that. Just supporting them as an individual, maybe realizing that you cannot truly realize uh, what kids are going through outside of the classroom and supporting them, uh, their growth as an individual rather than just the lessons that you're teaching. We're not all meant to go to University of New Hampshire. We're not all meant to uh, maybe go enlist or these other things. Like a lot of people have so many different paths. And I think the really the center point of all that, rather than trying to focus on all the directions that they could go, uh, focus on the person that they are in that moment, how you can support them first as a person rather than just the student that you have in your classroom. 
Yeah, I really love the terms that you used right there. Focus on the person and not the student because yes, you are a student, but you are a a person first. And if we're only focused on you as an individual student and not as the individual person, then we're going to miss a whole lot. And that actually, that sort of segues into a comment that you made to me recently about wearing masks. Uh, As educators this year, we implemented a very new tradition because we were wearing masks all the time we created an opportunity for everyone to go outside and take what we called a mask break. And I was reflecting to you that I thought that that was something that I would really like to keep as part of my individual practice. And you said, we've been wearing masks for a long time. Can you share a little bit of what that means to you and what what you were thinking when you said that? Kind of getting outside, taking off our masks, having time like that. That's really, really great for us in our day to be able to decompress and to kind of take a moment of normality uh, right now. But on a broader scale, what I was trying to convey to you was, yeah, we've, we've been wearing masks for a long, long time. So those mask breaks, they can be a lot harder when we're talking about our own character and kind of stripping that away and being who we truly want to be, who we truly are in that moment. But yeah, we've been wearing masks for a long time. And I think we continue, we will continue to wear masks as much as we try to fight it. But it is very, very important and crucial to uh, take that time, take your mask off and to uh, just enjoy the person that you really are. Do you have ideas or suggestions on how I as a teacher can help implement figurative mask break that we're talking about here? Because I think you're right. I uh, it's it's hard for me to to admit to you that uh, that this feels like a new experience that you're exposing to me and you know I've been an educator for almost 20 years and and to like not have that reality or that awareness of my own so give me some suggestions on how I as a teacher might be able to implement a figurative mask break for my students the first thing that I would do, honestly, is you wear masks too. You wear masks just like I do or just like any other student does. So really zero in on what you would need. Obviously, as you tailor every lesson to every individual student and everything like that, it's the same thing. Really, a lot of the times, kids just need to, they just need to know that their teachers are there for them outside of the number in their grades or their things on power school. They, they really need that a lot more than they may convey. I definitely did. There were points where I even walked into your classroom wearing a lot of masks. I just needed someone. I just needed that. That, that okay, that permission to, you know, just be be myself and to be able to be in a space where I was supported and felt like j- just love us that we're supported as growing individuals, as imperfect people to, to just see them as that first and foremost, have that be the forefront and form your lesson around that. It should be about growing and supporting the individual before teaching all these different techniques and mechanics that we have to learn. High school is, as everybody knows, are some of our most formative years and I'm still experiencing that growth now in college. Our biggest education in high school is our education of ourselves, finding who we are, finding who we're becoming and what we want to be, what we want to do. Desperately important and something that should be really started from the time we're in kindergarten. So that's what I would say. You highlighted something really important for educators is to recognize that we come into that classroom wearing a very thick mask. And if we aren't willing to take our masks off and be real, then we can't, we can't focus on the individual person 
that's sitting in front of us as our students. And I think a lot of high school teachers struggle with taking that mask off and admitting that my subject may not be the be all end all. And I've been recently saying to a lot of people that chemistry is the vehicle. Like I don't, I don't want you all to become amazing chemists out there, but I can find connections to you as people and as students through chemistry. I think if teachers were were willing to take their masks off, I think then the students would see an opportunity to really discover who they are in that classroom with that teacher who's willing to be vulnerable with them. You hit the nail on the head. As much as I think it's every every teacher's goal to have their students go out into that field and prosper. The reality is that a lot of kids, like I was saying, have all these different paths that they're trying to really find their way on. So supporting them as the individual first. If you had a teacher or any figure who walked in and was able to be vulnerable and able to show their students that growth is okay and perfections are okay and they're human, we can um, stop looking at classrooms as a room with 20-something desks and a big chalkboard and look at it as a growing area where students come in one way and leave in a different light learning something. We could make that learning a lot more about learning about ourselves rather than learning about whatever the subject may be. Can you talk about the challenge as a leader and feeling like you have to have a mask on? Something that is a lot easier said than done and something that I still struggle with are days where I close off and just say I'm fine and put on my mask. I'm learning more and more by the day. The more that you can open up, the more that you can verbalize the struggles you're going through. The people who are going through those struggles currently can attach themselves to you and feel a lot more open to their own growth. So as leaders, I would definitely try to advocate for us to all do that. When I first started working in the program, there was this expectation that students chosen to be peer leaders were already in a position where they were meeting expectations academically, socially, behaviorally. If I encouraged a student who was not meeting those expectations to become a peer leader, there was the perception that they were already failures. And I struggled really hard with that. I was trying to give opportunities to students who were not meeting expectations, but had leadership potential. So I'm curious, Avery, about what you think the role of the students who are identified as peer leaders should be. I think that that's a really big misconception about peer leaders and something that any kid coming into peer leadership, they felt like they had to fit this box. And I think, like I said, just trying to shatter that box and take off those masks. I think one by one that creates such a really powerful chain reaction. So my goal was to walk in the room as a peer leader and to be open to say, hey, Here's how I messed up, how I have been imperfect, but here's how you can still be a leader from that. Here's how you can still grow from that and still find worth in yourself from that. It doesn't matter what number you are on that paper. It doesn't matter what else you're doing in this school. Even if even if all you're doing is coming here, getting through your day and going back home, like I'm proud of you. You have worth. I have love for you. Uh, showing these different things for these students, there are things that very few people convey in that school. I, I hope at least that that made an impact. Even just one person that to be a leader you don't have to be perfect you don't have to have the greatest grades you don't have to fit all these check marks you're a leader in your own day by just making it through that day and that you can find worth and gratitude and pride in just doing that yourself
if you could give advice to me as a peer leader facilitator and let's say one of our peer leader, somebody made a big mistake. So maybe they were caught drinking or maybe they cheated on a test. Like what does, what does that look like for supporting, but also remembering that these are, these are role models. I would love to hear if you could name a perfect leader because I definitely can't. Like I said, I don't, I don't think anybody can really be a leader unless they have those mess ups, uh, especially as growing teenagers and people just coming into their own. I've heard about people who kind of got nixed from making it as a peer leader who didn't make that cut because they messed up. And that was something that I always felt as if that was really counterintuitive to the exact mission that we were pursuing. If we're only picking the most perfect kids with the most perfect grades and who are in all these clubs, then we are just targeting maybe 5% of the student body who are doing those same things. And that is to show these kids uh, all these different lessons and all these things that we're trying to teach them. If we're then showing them and the people that walk into those rooms, here's what it takes to be a leader. You have to be this perfect individual and if you me- if you mess up, then you're cut. Then that's the example that we're setting for these kids when we're trying to teach them about how to function in high school and in greater life. Yeah, that's something that I found was completely counterintuitive and something that I definitely tried to fight against. But just recognizing that no leader can truly become a leader without messing up and without being on the other end of that. And it's about rebounding from that. And if we never give the kids the chance to rebound, then then we have no chance to move forward and no chance to really teach these kids on a larger level. Right. And we're not building a community that is inclusive and accepting. We're building a community of perfectionists who kick out the people who mess up. Wow. That there is no perfect leader. Including you who runs the program. That's the thing is you also have to give yourself that grace in the same light where, yeah, you, you may have messed up and maybe kicked someone away from the program who maybe should have deserved a second chance or whatever that, whatever it may be. Uh, but you have to give yourself that same grace that you wish you would have given the other people. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. Thank you. I appreciate that. No, absolutely. No, it's easy to get caught up on that. It really is. And I think, again, it goes back to that fear as a teacher of taking that perfect mask off and making a mistake because then I'm vulnerable and I'm exposed. And then what? Uh, So it's really it all comes around to what mask do you want to wear or what mask do you have to wear and why are you wearing it? What purpose does it serve? I really think about that image of perfection that we were striving for with those individual students that were accepted or weren't accepted into the program. I think just playing devil's advocate on the other side, like people would say, oh, well, this this sets a bad example for the kids coming up and here are the things that they're going to fall into. But the way that I see it, at least, is if we then create this community of just perfectionists who go into these classrooms as peer leaders, then the kids who don't fit in with that group are going to turn to the same things that we're trying to fight against anyways. And I think it's a lot more powerful if we have the kids who do mess up walk into those rooms and say, hey, I made a mistake as a leader and here's how I fixed it. And here's how I've worked to uh, learn my lessons from that. Well, and I think about even the seemingly perfect students, obviously, were not. So were they, they were not perfect. So what disservice did we do to those 
students by helping them portray that perfectionist behavior and not giving them the opportunity to take their masks off and and be honest with themselves and each other. If you have a kid who feels like they have to be a perfectionist to feel worthy and have any worth or be a leader, uh, then they obviously graduate and go off to their next chapter in life with that same mindset. If we can teach those kids from from the beginning that you can mess up, that you can fail a million times. And we, we say that, but then we don't really support them when it happens. Uh, if we can really work to support them, teach these different tactics that can allow us to be a lot more successful in the grander scheme of things. So it, it all starts with embracing failure truly and embracing students who others would then throw away or say aren't leaders who would try to fight against that. Yeah, well, and it starts right in the classroom, the academic classroom. Failure is not accepted. Like you either pass and you move on or you fail and you're seen as a failure and or building in these opportunities to reassess. But there's no acceptance uh, or honestly, there's no celebration of failure. I can't wait for more teachers to listen to this conversation because I think it it really highlights the lack of consequence options. So where where's the conversation that's happening to to identify a consequence? Sometimes sometimes the mistake is the consequence. Honestly, it's those same kids that a lot of teachers will be quick to be like, oh, he he doesn't try. Well, you don't realize that kid was fighting just to wake up and to make it to school and to be in a place where he, she, or they can just be as a in a quiet space and be supported. And those are the same kids that we then turn on when they don't get a perfect score on our chemistry quiz. It's it's so much more powerful to just be there for those kids and support them as individuals first. A lot of the times, the mistakes that they're making are consequences in and of themselves and to rather support them from that point rather than to further push them under. The advice is to just, hey, teachers, how can you connect? How else could you connect with this situation? This is an opportunity. When we became those peer leaders, I think you you were the first person to give us that chance to kind of have that platform and to show people the just the power of leading in our imperfections. I learned so much that year. I think of another student. He was a challenge for me. We were oil and water. He and I butted heads so hard and I was ready to kick him out of the program. And what I did was I wrote down all the things that this student did. And by the time I got to the end of my list, I was like, look at how much this child has grown. For me, that was the most impactful thing that I could have done as a teacher to actually take the time, write down the things that I was challenged with and reflect on. I would urge a lot of teachers to do that because I think even if you don't come to that result of growth, you can also see like if you write down everything that these students are doing, you'll see a lot of them are honestly just like cries for help and people who need that support and people that need that grace in that same way. So so I, I think all of those are really, really important takeaways. I would like you to think about advice you might give to current students. And then I want you to think about advice that you might give administrators or parents. And for administrators, what matters are the formative years to have. There are kids who walk in one way and every kid will walk out of high school in a completely different light. And it's up to the administrators and the teachers first to build an environment that makes sure that that growth is positive. And it's the same thing that will then impact the student body. And those same students who really have the chance to shift the culture try to convey to every student that to just to be who you really truly want to be, to not try to fit into the numbers that you need to get on your grades or the time you have to get on your race or the 
amount of matches you need to win for my fellow wrestlers, for all the people who just feel like they need to fit in this one box. High school itself, we're in one giant box. Our school is literally one giant box and we're all in there and we're all trying to find our way, but we end up pushing each other out of the way to try to get to that end goal when we can lift each other up instead. Um, and it is uh, a beautiful opportunity if we take it, um, but so many teachers, administrators, students, we all take that for granted, look at ways that we can kind of shove everybody down, pull them down so we can get up to a higher step. It's about helping inspire growth uh, to create a constructive environment, to show love and grace to these students who you don't know if they find that in any other place. We have the opportunity to literally change the future. And if we can stop imposing who we want to be and who we, uh, we have the opportunity to literally breed the most beautiful, beautiful place for us to live in. If we give them uh, love, if we give them grace, if we give them support, you will see the exact same changes on a way bigger scale. After listening to all of that, that is good advice for all of us. Avery, this was incredible. I want to thank you so much for coming today and spending some time with me. I appreciate the opportunity. This was amazing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. What I really appreciated about this interview with Avery was reminding me that I'm not perfect, that I can forgive myself and give myself some space in the mistakes that we've made. I too wear a mask as a teacher and not totally focusing on getting through content but connecting with students. As a new teacher in a new school, I really want to take on his message and reflect on how I can be better for the students that I face this year. Seeing them, connecting with them, and finding chemistry along the way. Thank you for listening to another episode of Unimagined. If this episode spoke to you, like it. If you think someone else could use it, share it, or if you know of a student who has a story to tell, connect them to us. You can find me on Twitter at lconnell20. The theme music for this podcast was written and produced from a former colleague of mine, Keith McClendon, who is also an educator at a vocational school in Massachusetts.